TPM Podcast with your host, Mario Gerard. This is part two of the podcast with the author of the blog, Engineer Seeking Fire. He has worked as a TPM or a program manager at Amazon, Microsoft, and is currently a TPM at Google. We discuss how the TPM role varies across these three tech organizations and the various nuances between them. So stay tuned. So let's now like move into the TPM world. So can you describe for me what the TPM role at Google looks like? Sure. So there are lots of different things that the, that the TPM covers at, at Google. So from a very high level perspective, a TPM focuses on execution. So we want to deliver products on time while at the same time making sure that people don't get burned out. So we want to have realistic timelines. We want to have reliable timelines. And we are responsible to make sure that things land on time. So that's from a very high level perspective. Pretty much very standard, right? Across the industry, Google follows the industry standard of the general role definition of what a TPM is across all the tech companies in general. No, that's correct. Right. And I can go into an example afterwards if you want. Sure, yeah. Let's let's do that a little later. What are the biggest challenges you think a TPM would face starting at Google? So one of the important things to know about Google is that Google is engineering driven. So there is lots of impact by the engineers. So the engineers are kings of Google, let's say if you want to call them like that. So what you need to do as a TPM is to prove value to the engineering team. So And each engineering team might be different. So one team might be doing Agile, another team might be doing more of Waterfall, another team might be have different tools to track things. So it's very, as a TPM, the most important thing is that we need to adapt to whatever the TPM, so whatever the engineering team needs. needs. And also at the same time, we need to prove our value. So it's not that, okay, I can go as a TPM and say, okay, I'm the TPM, this is what we'll do, and you guys follow me. There's no such thing. It's, I need to prove my value and gain more credibility within the team, and that's how the team will trust me and that's how we can move from there. So I think it's it's very, uh, the most important thing is proving value. I think that's how I see my job, proving value and making sure that people see why I have an important position in the table. So that's one thing. Another thing is that there is no standardization. So there's no, there are no standard set of tools. There's no guidance saying, okay, this is the tool that you need to do to create your project plans or this is the tool to send emails or this is the template or, or whatever. So every TPM has to, first of all, there are multiple tools. It's not that there are no tools. There are multiple Every TPM has to figure out what works for them. So what tools works for them? What processes work for them? And then after you figure it out, then it's about making sure that the engineering team sees value as well. So the fact that there's no standardization is kind of a double-edged sword because there is nobody telling you what to do. But at the same time, if you figure out what you do, then that's how you prove your value. And that's how engineers will say, yes, I want to work with this TPM because he knows what he's doing. The tools make sense. The process makes sense. So that's another important thing for, for Google. And then the other part is the technical stack at Google. There are so many different stacks, different tool sets. So as a TPM, you need to understand what's happening there and you that's why there is a T in the TPM. There's a technical program manager. There are also program managers at, at Google as well, so we have both roles. However, as a TPM, you need to understand the technical stack. You need to be there when people are talking about the, when they're creating the design, when they provide feedback for design. The TPM needs to be there and needs to be very cognizant of what's happening. And when somebody goes into tech talk, then the TPM needs to be able to provide value there as well. 
So I think these are kind of the biggest challenges with Google. So the standardization, proving the value, and then the technical stack are the three of the biggest Main challenges. When you spoke, you when you started off talking about Google, you also said it's a very engineering-driven, bottom-up culture. Can you like give us some examples? Because I've heard it from so many people, and I have my own idea of what that is, but I think it should come from you, of giving us an example of what engineering-driven, bottom-up culture means. So... I think if you look at historically, the Larry and Sergey, who are the Google founders, they, they were Stanford the graduates, so they came from engineering. So from them, the most important part was to build great products. So building great products was awesome. So that's what they wanted to do. And they hired lots of great engineers and they were focusing on making sure the design is great and the product is great and all sorts of complicated problems are solved. And then slowly, slowly, they started hiring other functions like product managers and program managers. And then it was for every new function, they had to prove themselves. And very often it was always whenever there was a conflict between, let's say, the product management team and the engineering team, the engineering director would would have the final say instead of the product manager. So if you think at Google products, still, most of them are consumer-based products. So what this means, if you look at Gmail, if you look at, say, Google Search, they're used by consumers. Whereas, for example, if you look at a different company, let's say Microsoft, most of Microsoft's products are enterprise-driven. For example, Office, mostly used by enterprise. So there's a very different set of uh, problems there. So from the perspective of Google and why they're engineering-driven, for example, it's more important in the consumer-based world to have a product that is well-designed, scaled correctly, and has good quality. Fun to actually launch on time. If you look at Gmail, Gmail was in beta, I don't know, for... For how many years? years. (laughs) (laughs) How many years was that? So it was was way, way more important for the engineers to make sure that it works correctly than to actually launch. So as a a product manager or maybe as a TPM, you want to launch. You want to say, okay, we're launching, let's say, next year or we're launching in September or whenever. But in Gmail, it was, as we talked about the beta, it was way more important to launch when things are done than to launch on a specific time frame. So these are this is something where the engineering-driven mindset shows up more. I think Gmail is one of the of the top examples. There. And, and, and it's about engineering it excellence, right? It's about all mm-hmm. about how solid is your engineering excellence and how reliable is the backend system, rather than focus too much on the front-end product management side of things. No, that's correct. Then. Google engineers are great engineers, very smart minds. So they they are facing lots of scalability issues, lots of reliability issues. So and obviously Google is known for scaling up. You know, Google says you think about how many billions of searches. So there are so many problems, and people like to solve all the problems and making sure that the products are great. They we don't you know the customers are happy with those products, and it's also engineers become very passionate about solving these types of cool problems. For example, you know I might love to scale. If I was an engineer, then I might love to scale something from let's say a million customers to a billion customers. So I would be very happy to work on scaling up the infrastructure, and that might take much more. You know, until I'm done, I might not launch. Whereas a as a TPM, and a TPM might say, okay, give me a time frame. I might say no. I launch whenever I'm done. So uh, you know, I might find new problems, for example, as I'm as trying to scale this up. Yes, as I'm thinking through it, as, I, as I'm testing, there might be new problems. So it's more important from the engineering side to launch when we are done than whenever we have a, have a date. So, from, so that makes the TPM role a little bit more complicated because sometimes it's very difficult to get an actual date from an engineer. They might say, you know, I launch when I'm done. Or ask me in uh, three months when I have a better understanding of the problem. So that doesn't always help. 
So if that's part of the, the challenging aspect of the um, Google, but I think Google is, is getting there and is getting into the, it's, there's a balance. There's obviously a balance and it's great to, it's, it's a great company to, to be fine. That's, that's very interesting, right? So as we talk about company cultures, I think each company brings out different attributes. They have a different personality, right? Mm-hmm. And each personality probably has its own advantages and disadvantages. And that puts them there, right? So it's kind of interesting to see how that works. So since you worked at Amazon as well, so how does the Amazon culture and the whole Amazon ethos differ from what we just spoke about at Google? So Amazon is very different. So we talked about Google being more engineering driven. Amazon is much more PM driven, much more data driven, much more top down. There are more aggressive timeframes. So if you think at Amazon, Amazon has approximately 40% year over year growth. So let's say one year, let's say we have an org, let's say they make hundreds, let's say they make $10 billion. The goal is next year they have 40% more. So now it's 14%, sorry, 14 million or billion dollars. And then the year after that, another 40% growth. So now we're in 20 billion dollar range. So within two years, they have to produce double the revenue, right? So this means that when the Amazon has to provide way more products, way more features. And there's also lots of metrics that go behind them. So with the, tracking everything in order to make sure that this happens, you know, way more fine-grained data analysis than, than other companies. And at the same time, though, this means that there is more pressure on teams and individuals to, to perform, right? So it's if you need to just the, the, what you did Two years ago might be totally different from the requirements uh, for today. Just because today you have to produce twice more things uh, as you did two years ago. Two years ago. So you need to find ways as a person to scale. At the same time, you need to help your team to scale. You need to find ways to solve problems in a way that you multiply the effort. So just doing the same thing year after year. And let's say you're, let's say in year one, you're a great performer. Three years later, you might be falling behind just because you need to perform twice as much, right? And that's, I think, different. Obviously, Amazon is a great company. Obviously, they're, they're launching new things very fast. So they're, for example, AWS, great org. So, and other orgs as well. But their focus on providing and producing things is just amazing. So again, there are two points, two, two views for, for this. It's aggressive timelines, teams working at close to capacity or at capacity. In the end, there might be dependencies where you might depend on a team and the team might be overworked. So it might be difficult to schedule stuff. However, at the same time, that's how you produce, that's how you know when you increase the revenues, that's how the company grows. Another thing to point out is that you know the, the trio at Amazon is a PM, a TPM, and then STM. So from a high-level perspective, the TPM role as a TPM role is, is similar to what we have at Google, right? So you, you work with the product manager, you work with the data technical product managers, you work with the software manager, software engineering manager. So from a high-level perspective, the role is very similar. At the same time, though, the day-to-day tasks are very different based on based on what we said that you know Amazon is let's say very uh, top down very hierarchical whereas Google is way more bottoms up as we said also one thing is that uh, that I forgot to mention about Google is that in Google term Googler is very important and um, so when you start you are a Googler so you're kind of protected you're in a bubble and for six months your main goal is there to learn it doesn't matter your level doesn't matter you're you know you are there to learn so you you might be protected from lots of things you might have you know the goal is that do whatever you want to do in order to learn and productivity is kind of secondary so that's very important for Google and then even after that 
you are hired to be a Googler. So you can change things even maybe without the interviews just because you are a Googler, so every team trusts you. So you might just talk to the hiring manager and then the next day you might be switching teams if your perf is good, for example. So in Amazon, pretty much in week number one, you need to be productive. So just because there is all this aggressive growth and all this need for, for additional people, yeah. from week one, you're asked to make decisions, you're asked to uh, to be productive, you are evaluated, and then your actions are being evaluated from day one. These are, there's different. no better or worse. Yeah. It's just that this, this is what's happening in the, these two companies. Yeah, it's very different. And I know that I think at Amazon, generally, they say, if you make it through your first year, then you're going to be all set. But yes. there's a large percentage of people who don't make it through the first year because the expectations are either too high or whatever reasons, right? But the first year is make or break. You know whether you're going to do well at Amazon or not. So that's like very different from what you mentioned at Google, where literally for the first six months is you're given the opportunity to go and learn and discover things and even yeah. change teams. And probably even the first year, right, is almost written off. Yes. There's lots of value on helping the employee learn and take their own pace and figure out what Google is about in order to be productive. And that, I think, pays in the in long run. Long run. As you said, Amazon is more aggressive. So yes, I think many people live within their first year. And there are people who stay for Amazon. They love Amazon and they, you know, they might stay for six, 10 years. Yeah. And maybe there's also a filter because I think what, what I've heard, obviously I haven't been at Amazon for quite some time now, but what I've heard is that at this point, Amazon, it's way easier from the interview process to get hired at Amazon at the same than, for example, at Google or Facebook or anywhere else. But at the same time, at least from the big companies. But at the same time, it's more difficult to stay there for a long time just because to survive. of Amazon, Amazon culture there. Yes, to survive at Amazon, I think, is definitely what I've heard from my friends and colleagues, that it's definitely a much more strenuous environment in general. That's maybe too much generalizing it, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I think that's a very valid point. It's a great disclaimer there. I'm sure that there are people who are listening to this from either Google or Amazon. They're like, what is this guy talking about? You know, I'm working at Amazon and I'm working 20-hour weeks and then, you know, I take vacation whenever I want. I'm going to Hawaii every, every weekend. Obviously, there are things like that. I think we're generalizing here, so it's, it's yeah, all yeah. things are on average. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that everything is very stressful at Amazon. Everything is just rosy at Google. You yeah. know, there are, it's mix and match. Yeah. However, I think this is more of a generalization. So thanks for yeah. pointing it out. It's, yeah. it's uh, I don't want to make. To, to, I want to clarify that as well. Good time to put in a disclaimer. Uh, so let's move into the Microsoft. So you you spent. Uh, quite some time at Microsoft, right? As well, as a PM and as a SB, SDE as well. So how is the Microsoft world so different from the first two companies we spoke about? So Microsoft is quite different from multiple perspectives. So first of all, Microsoft doesn't have a TPM role. They have a program manager role. And this program manager role does kind of has to wear both hats, both of the product manager and of the technical program manager. So as a program manager at Microsoft, you have to do the product management work, like defining the product, handling the KPIs, talking with sales, talking with all sorts of marketing, making sure that the product looks great and making all the product-based decisions. And at the same time, you need to be the TPM where you figure out, okay, when are we launching, create the project plan, do all the, uh, maybe even do back triaging with the, with the engineering manager. So it's kind of a mix. So it's one role where you do both things. So that's a huge difference. So it's very difficult as a kind of a Microsoft program manager to do both. So you cannot do a full product management 
role plus a full technical program manager role because the same position in another company would need two people. So as one person, you cannot obviously scale from one end to the other end. So you kind of have to figure out what are your priorities there. And in some teams, a program manager works more as a product manager, whereas in another team, they might work more like a technical program manager. And it also varies based on the product life cycle. So maybe in the beginning of the product, you do more product management work. And then as time goes by, you do more technical product management work. So that's, it changes as, as time goes by. So yeah. that's a very big difference. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. So I think you pointed out a very, very good point that changes through the life cycle of the product or the feature set within that product family, right? If you're an office, mm-hmm. even if you're an office, you're probably one of the office products. And within that office products, you're responsible for a set of features, right? And where in the product life cycle is that set of features? Has it been around for the last 15, 20 years or is it fairly new, right? So I think that's a very key point which you brought up. And the second part is also, I feel when I talk to people at Microsoft is you need to understand what the strengths and weaknesses of that particular team is. If a team has a very, very strong existing product management leadership, they might be producing all your product documentation and telling you from a, this is coming from a group program manager telling you like what you need to go do so it's already kind of defined for you and then you go and execute on it while in some other teams you might be defining what the team's going to work on and then your engineering manager is going to be your tpm he's going to work with the engineers in driving the schedule and the delivery and the timelines and all those things so i think so like it's a very like hybrid or it kind of depends by the team but you're very correct that it's very different that's correct it varies a lot by the team so some teams might be more uh, pm driven so product program management driven some others might be more engineering driven again there might, some teams might be more bottoms up others might be more top down i think typically though it's more top down it's not as hierarchical as with Amazon, but it's more top-down where, at least on the program management side, it's there is a, typically, at least in the products that I work, there was a, a strategy document that came and then they defined the strategy. And then there were all sorts of you know, that, that came maybe from the VP and then the director would have, uh, for each team, might have a, a, a more specific document. And then the, uh, the GPM, so the group program manager might have a document for the team. So, and then from there you go down. So it's a more top-down model, uh, yeah. more top-down approach than, let's say, at, at Google. So you're right, but it also this also depends on, on the team. There's also lots of flexibility on the PMICs, for example, to select their own projects and stuff. But lots of things are captured based on this top-down approach. So another also another difference where which is very different between Microsoft and let's say Google is as a technical program manager at Google, I might be working with multiple teams, and these teams might change from project to project. Whereas in Microsoft, there is one PM team, and this one PM team will have a dedicated one engineering team or maybe a couple of engineering teams and they don't change. So pretty much I, let's say if I'm part of the program management team, I work with a specific set of people. You know, my projects might vary as time goes by, but there's a specific set of, let's say maybe 10 engineers or maybe 15 engineers if you look at a couple of engineering teams. So that's, let's say, my workspace. Which so is so what happens when you have dependencies with other teams? So the other team might have their own program manager. So, so you work with that program manager directly instead of working with the engineers on that? Yes. So each team has kind of dedicated program managers. So, okay. so obviously they might be, if they are 
I might sometimes I might go directly to the engineering manager from that team, but in most cases, each team has a dedicated program management team, and then there is lots of program manager to program manager work and communications happening there because there is lots of dedicated, and that's why the ratio is smaller. You know, it might be maybe one to three at Microsoft, one to five at Microsoft, whereas at Google it might be one to ten, one to twenty. You know, TPMs to engineers. And, and, and what so what what do you think is a, a ratio at Amazon? Ratio Amazon. Just, I mean, I, you don't need to be perfectly right. I think it's, it's like one is to fourteen. I think it's it's more thinly yeah. spread yes, uh, at Amazon because you generally have at least two to three teams for a TPM. That's correct. I think sounds right. Sounds about right. So yes, I think that that's, that looks based on my experience. That looks correct on the teams that I worked on. That's correct. That's definitely uh, interesting information. So we've kind of compared these three organizations. So at Google, let's get back to Google. So at Google, what does your org structure look like? Uh, like who does a TPM report to? And that depends on the org a lot. For example, we talked about the fact that most of Google is consumer-centric. There is one team at Google, the uh, Google Cloud team, which is, you know, I think, the only enterprise team at Google, which also covers G Suite and everything. So there's one big org there. And that org has um, a central TPM org. So there's one TPM org. So there is uh, the IC who, is, who reports the TPM manager who reports the TPM director who might want to senior director to a VP. So there is a pretty much a senior director, let's say, of program management of TPM there. So uh, there is a central uh, TPM org in the cloud. However, um, in most of the other orgs, this is not the case. So the TPM might report to the engineering manager or they might report to a TPM manager who reports to an engineering director. So it's much smaller teams. Whereas and they generally, the so they generally, in the, in the B2C space, they generally report to the engineering manager. Or yes. the reporter manager who eventually reports into an engineering manager. Exactly. Uh, and it's not like um, in the B2B cloud space or enterprise space. It's more like you do have a large uh, TPM organization, which is kind of a whole set of TPMs alone. And I think that's also because of the, I said, B2B versus B2C. In B2B, we talked about consumer products. It's, you know, it's easier to say, okay, we'll ship whenever we feel that we're ready. On the cloud side or in enterprise products in general, you cannot say that because there are companies who want to migrate to the cloud and they're waiting for this particular feature in order to, let's say, migrate to, to a specific class. So you cannot just say, okay, we'll have this particular feature whenever we want. Uh, so there, ha- there has to be more reliable timelines. You have to sip on time. You have to prove that you don't sleep again and again and again. That's how you build trust with the enterprise. So that's why there is more of a need for a central TPM work so that they cover everything and they look at all of the products holistically from Google Cloud as a platform instead of as a product. Whereas in more consumer-based products, the timelines might be a little bit more looser. So it might be easier to sleep and there might not be that much need to have a holistic view of every feature that is shipping for a particular consumer product. That's interesting, right? How the, I've never thought of it this way, how the TPM role differs from B2B to B2C. It's the role and what you aim and aspire to do as a TPM. Not only depends on the company's culture, not only depends on the product, also depends on whether you're doing it in a B2B space or in a B2C space. So that's, that's like really, it really changes, you know, how you think and how you have to act as a TPM and how at this point, like what you just mentioned, right? How an organization is structured to enable that good program management. Uh, that's why the B2 enterprise space, which we were talking about at Google has that whole TPM organization because they want to be so strong in managing communication and dates and those kind of things. 
That's right. correct. Yeah. So right. that's really, uh, really uh, fascinating to hear about that. And uh, how are the levels, when you talk about levels of TPMs, how does that uh, equate in Google and how does that equate in other places, you think? So there are typically the, the title might vary, but in general, the work is uh, kind of similar. So I can look and bucket them into different sets of work. So in every company, there is some entry level TPM. So at Google, it might be a level three. I think Amazon might be level four. Microsoft call it level 59, but it doesn't matter. It's pretty much there is an entry level TPM. And these are the, you know, you might be just out of college or you might just have entered the, the TPM space. So you need pretty much supervision. There might be some established processes where you are executing on, for example, somebody else might have created the project plan and then you are working on making sure that the project plan is uh, is being followed. There might be small changes here and there, but maybe you're executing pretty much. Then the next level is the kind of the intermediate level. So let's say an L4 TPM at Google or a 61, 62 at Microsoft, where you are more independent. So you can work with, instead of just working with uh, one product. Are they uh, L4s in Amazon? So Facebook and Google have the same uh, level. So L3 at Facebook is the same as L3 at uh, Google. Amazon levels are plus one. So for example, L3 at Google and Facebook is L4 at Amazon. If you think about that, L4 at Google and Facebook is L5 at Amazon. And then again, L5 at Google and Facebook are L6 at Amazon. So they have a plus one. So Amazon has a plus one. So Amazon has, a, Amazon has a plus one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In, in, so so in you level. were talking about L4. And when you talk about L4, so L4 is level four and this is Google, right? So I guess let's say an intermediate level. So L4 okay. at Google, L5 at Amazon or 61, 62 at Microsoft. So you have gone past the introductory phase or so now you're more independent. You manage the project plan. Maybe you have a couple of projects that you're working on at the same time. And pretty much the, the important part there is now you're independent, don't need supervision. So somebody might say, okay, here's, the, um, here's what we need to, to accomplish go ahead and create the project plan and you're responsible for it end to end. So you, you own the product at this point. That's the importance, I think, between um, an entry level and intermediate, intermediate level, the independence part. And then the next level, the senior level, so let's say L5 at Google and Facebook or L6 at Amazon or maybe uh, 63, 64 at Microsoft, you're, you're more senior. Now you're, you're a leader. So now you have multiple projects you are working with multiple teams, might be mentoring people. And again, it's it's more about figuring new things, being, not only being independent about owning a project, it's about figuring out what's the problem. So you might say, okay, I'm driving this, uh, this project and now I see that there is all these inefficiencies, let's say, in the way that we handle support. And then you might figure out a better way for support to interface with the product team. And then the next step would be to say, okay, but other teams might be having a similar issue. So let's try and extrapolate this and create a more organized approach about how the product team should interface with support. And then you impact other teams as well. And that's how you show that, okay, you are a little bit more, that's how you show the, the senior impact. level yeah. value, so more impact. Pretty much the, the difference between levels at this point becomes impact, right? As a, as a principal TPM, so let's say as a L6 TPM at Google and Facebook or L7 at, at Amazon. At this point, you start impacting multiple orgs. So you might not be impacting only your own org, but you might be impacting other orgs. So you might say, for example, okay, the, I have found this solution. It works, let's say, in Gmail. Maybe the same solution might work in some other Google product as well. So you're impacting multiple orgs, different, different set of products. Or you might see that, okay, this particular library that is being used by one product might be useful here. So you might do some tech transfer between the teams. So your impact has to be recognized by multiple orgs pretty much. And then 
when you go levels above that, then you start uh, impacting all of the, the whole company. Maybe as a senior principal, like L7, for example, at Google, then you might be impacting all of Google. So at that point, you go into very, very high levels as an, as an IC. Yeah, and in most cases, I think what I've seen is after principal level, most people start becoming managers or directors. So it's uh, at that point, you go into the managerial path more than an IC path. Or you, think, I feel, I feel like from the senior level, right? It's fairly a career role. You can mm-hmm. stay there for uh, the entirety of your career, or yeah. you can progress. You can progress either in an IC path, or you can progress into, into a more management type of a role if you want to lead more uh, people. So it's kind of um, uh, between the two, you have a lot of choice. I feel. That's correct. That's correct. It's. Um, I, think, I think you're right. At some point in L5, you, you make a decision. Do you want to stay as an L5 because you have quite a big of impact? You have a large scope. People recognize you as a leader. To, or do you want maybe to go into more managerial role where you manage a team? That's one option. Or maybe you want to have even more impact and go into a principal level role. So at that point, as an L5, you have at least three options about what you want to do with your career. Yeah, and I think it's a very personal choice in what you're good at and what your career aspirations are on how you choose which path you go into. And I've also seen people go to a senior principal route and then go to a managerial route or go to the manager route first and then become a senior principal, right? So I think once you're that proficient as a TPM, you can do, you know, you can switch between those three roles or two, three roles, you know, how and when the organization needs or how and when you need it. And it's also not only staying in the TPM route. I've seen many TPMs who decide that they want to become engineering managers, for example, they might become product managers at some point. So I think it's a, I see the TPM role as having a very valuable skill set, which is managing the project and managing the timelines for the project and managing resources. So you can use this very valuable skill in any way that you want. Do you want to become an engineering manager where not only you're managing the project, but you're also managing uh, people as well, so engineers, and be more focused on the engineering side. Do you want to become a manager? Do you want to go into products and define the product and help um, with the product vision in a different way? I think your the TPM role is so, so central that you work with so many people, and then at some point you get influences from so many areas that you're like, okay, I that you might think, okay, I like my role, but I maybe I prefer to work more on the defining the product instead of executing the product. So you go to that route. Or maybe you see you decide that okay, I want to work more closely with engineers, and that's how you might become an engineering manager. So you have all these very different exit options at, at some point because the most important part is that you have a very valuable skill, and the way that you use this skill is it's very much up to you. That's so true. So my next question to you is, what does a successful TPM at Google look like? How would you define a successful TPM? If there's a new TPM starting off at Google, like what would they need to focus on? So there are multiple things, and, and that depends on the level. So for example, as a successful entry-level TPM, you need to... Uh, it's always about showing success in the next level. So if you're starting as a new TPM, obviously, it'll be difficult to know the tech stack and it'll be difficult to know the people and everything and you might need more help and more guidance. However, it's very important to show attributes of the next level of being more independent. So how can you do that? For example, you might, you have to learn more about the tech stack. You need to speak with a lot of people, understand what's happening within the team, build relationships. So all these things. The important part is to think about always about the next level. If you are, let's say, an L4 TPM, so a, a more like an intermediate TPM, then it's about okay, how can I start impacting 
not only my team, but how can I start impacting more teams? How can I increase my impact? How can more people recognize that I'm there? Especially in, in COVID, where we're all working from home and we're only communicating with, uh, via video conferencing. How can I make sure that more people know about what I'm doing? You know, for example, if I create a timeline, if I create a project plan and start communicating this project plan, do people feel that this information is reliable or will my project plan change every couple of weeks just because you know, something minor happens? So how much trust do other people have on me? So for example, some of the key things that they need to do, obviously, Obviously, you know, communicating, that's key. So making sure that everybody knows about the the status of the projects is key. That's the main thing. Also creating reliable timeframes, that's very important. So that's how you build your credibility. So working uh, in order to create a reliable time frame, first of all, you need to work with engineers, get their estimates, for example. Then you also need to put your own filter and say, okay, the estimates that they're giving me, do they make sense or not? Have they thought about, for example, testing? Have they thought about scalability issues that might come up? Have they thought about all sorts of different dependencies? So that's how you build a very reliable project plan. And then also, as time goes by, things change. So how do you manage your risks? How do you uh, monitor the progress of the project? So all of these things are very, very valuable. So you need to prove yourself. And in order to show that you have all these skills, I think you need to be able to get lots of traction with engineers, prove yourself to higher up. So by communicating and also build relationships. I think these are three key things. One thing that I wanted to, to point out is that as a TPM, even though we are technical program managers and we focus on technical stuff, we don't code. So a TPM will not be asked to write any code. So they will not need to code something. This is specifically a job for the software engineers. If they need more heads, then another software engineer might be hired to help. However, as a TPM, the technical aspect is helping with design reviews, signing off on design documents, understanding the technical challenges that the project might have. This is an important part, at least in my mind, about the technical aspect. How about like writing specs and maintenance and uh, operational things? Are those things which uh, TPMs uh, at Google do? So in most cases, the, the spec is written by the... So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the product lifecycle. So in general, the, the product manager is the one who is writing the spec. So they write the spec, they define what the product will do, they write all the use cases. They are the ones who define the product it's on the product so then the spec will get approved by they will have to present the spec to something maybe it's the the pm leadership team or there has to be some formal approval so the spec gets approved the tpm definitely provides input there but they are not the owner of the spec so they might say this is infeasible or maybe it might be take more time or it might be tricky or whatever they might disagree on the use cases but after the dialogue it's the product manager who is responsible to to approve the spec Got it, got it. Okay. And the TPM also, does the TPM do resourcing and pick out who works on which project or is that more on the engineering manager? So that's the engineering manager. So what happens is that after the product manager gets the spec approved, then the engineering managers figure out what teams might be needed and how many resources. And then the TPM might be added at this point. So after the spec, so it depends actually, if this is a new product, then the TPM might get added at this point. If it's an existing product, then the TPM might be already working with the product. But yeah. it's mostly the engineering managers who assign the resources. And then at that point, the TPM works with those engineers to split the project into components, 
to assign the costs, to create the project plan, to define different milestones, figure out what features will be delivered in each milestone. And pretty much the most important deliverable that, that the TPM has is the project plan. So that could be in multiple forms. It could be a document, it could be a sheet, let's say in Excel, it could be um, any Gantt chart. But the important part is they need to have a deliverable, which is the, the project plan. And making sure that the project plan is reliable, it's accurate, it's always updated, and it's uh, trustworthy, that's the most important deliverable and the most important document or that the TPM provides. I think you mentioned it earlier in our conversation as well that you cannot keep changing the project plan because that erodes trust. At least at the very beginning, you have to be as comprehensive as possible so that you're building that trust and people trust you and you're bringing in enough value for the team. That's correct. Obviously, things might change. So let's say somebody might leave the team or there might be some new projects that are more high priority than the previous project. So you need to be agile and adjust as a TPM. But, you know, unless something big changes, the project plan is, you should have enough knowledge and enough research into the project plan so that it's a solid timeline. And again, things might change. And that's when you update the project plan. And you need to be kind of agile in the way that you do. But let's say you create a project plan saying that you'll deliver in a couple of months. A week later, you cannot say, okay, it will be, that will be delayed by three more months or anything like that. You need to have some firm timelines there. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And that, my friends, was the end of part two of this series of podcasts, which we are doing with Engineers Seeking Fire. I thought that was a really, really good episode where the author compared the TPM role across Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. It's invaluable, in my opinion, right, of somebody walking you through how the role differs, how the ethos of the company differs. That was, like, super fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that well. Anyway, stay tuned for part three. In part three, we'll go into discussing the author's views on the different types of interview questions for TPMs and how you should prepare for them. So see you on the other side. Bye.